Hello and welcome to The World in 30 Minutes, the podcast on the ideas, events and policies that will shape the world from the European Council on Foreign Relations. My name is Mark Leonard and I'm Director of ECFR and today we're going to be discussing the German elections and what they mean for the future of Germany, Germany's role in Europe and the future of European politics. I am joined by two uh, wonderful guests to help us make sense of this. First up is Josef Janning, who's the head of ECFR's office in Berlin and a senior policy fellow there. And secondly, by Franziska Brandner, who is not just an ECFR council member, but almost as importantly, is also a member of the German parliament for the Green Party. And um, I think you also come from Baden-Württemberg, which is where the Greens have scored an impressive victory in the uh, local in the Lunt elections. Um, Josef, do you want to kick us off by telling us what happened in the elections? There's been a lot of talk about uh, particularly the, the right wing uh, alternative for Deutschland, making it into all three parliaments. The fact that the uh, SPD is, is doing badly, but maybe you can um, uh Talk us through the, the main results. Uh, yes, Mark. Uh, thanks. Um, I think these three elections um, present a bag of mixed messages. On the one hand, we have seen the success of three prime ministers on the state level. The Green Prime Minister in Baden-Württemberg, his party uh, went up by 6.1 percentage points. That's quite remarkable. Um, and it's an all-time high for the Greens. Secondly, uh, in uh, Rheinland-Pfalz, Rheinland-Palatinate, the Prime Minister Malu Dreyer also won, uh, not quite as striking, but she managed uh, to defeat uh, her uh, opponent from the Christian Democrats, who looked like the sure winner uh, only a few months ago. And in Sachsen-Anhalt, in the east of Germany, uh, also the uh, party of the uh, Prime Minister there, the Christian Democrats, managed to uh, remain um, uh, in the strongest position. But apart from that, uh, a lot of things have changed. Not only uh, have none of these Prime Ministers uh, the chance to govern with their previous coalition, so they have to find a new coalition partners, either build a new coalition or add another partner. And so we're entering in Germany into an era of three-party coalition governments, which, uh, uh, which is not entirely new, but still uh, requires some, some delicate uh, political management. Secondly, the uh, anti-party party, the Alternative für Deutschland, um, made it into all parliaments, and not just barely, but comfortably. Uh, and even managed to um, uh, surpass the Social Democrats in two of the three elections, which um, uh, I believe has been surprising many people, me included. Um, so they are now uh, in Parliament um, with a substantial number of seats, 15% of the vote in Baden-Württemberg, 12% of the vote in uh, Rhineland-Palatinate, and 24.2% of the vote, which is the second largest party in Parliament, uh, in the East German state of Sachsen-Anhalt. I think that is something uh, to reckon with. That will change uh, the political discourse, not only in these three states, but the political discourse in the country at large over time. Wow. So, Francisca, um, I imagine you've probably been celebrating uh, since Sunday, uh, seeing as you um, 
come from Baden-Württemberg, where you had this stunning result in the elections. I mean, do you think Josef's account is right, or, or do you have anything else to add? No, I think it's uh, probably quite right. And like, um, you know, we have uh, been able uh, to maintain not only a very good result, which everybody uh, five years ago said was only due to Fukushima. And everybody said, you know, it's a mistake of history that the Greens got the prime minister. And five years later, we not only kept that result from five years ago, but have increased by over 6%, which, uh, you know, nobody really expected. Um and in my town, for example, Heidelberg, um, our candidate got 41%, um, which is, you know, a very strong result. And it's, of course, uh, also joy, um, especially in these days when we have been defending an open society, a welcoming policy towards refugees. Uh, and everybody predicted that with such a, a line, we would, uh, you know, miserably fail in the elections. Um, and to be able to win, you know, such a strong um, result with such a policy, I think is also a sign for hope, even though we have the terrible strong result for the alternative for Germany, which is no alternative for Germany, but um, for this party. So I think there's dark and light in these elections. And after all, all of those party leaders and um, candidates that have been supporting Merkel have won. And I think what is interesting to see is that both in Baden-Württemberg and uh, Rheinland-Pfalz, the candidates went down in the... Um, uh, you know, in the polls, once those two had written a public letter requiring or asking for Merkel to adopt the Austrian position of having ceilings for refugees. And you can really see in the polls that that was the date when both of them started to decline. And I think that is linked to the fact that everybody saw it as just a tactical response to fears um, of losing out voters to the AfD. Sorry. And I think that this was not honored by the voters as a very good sign, you know, like keep your position, be on, honest, and don't be tactical. And I think um, that's also an important for me, lessons from the selection campaign. One of the confusing things, though, is that you have these two competing narratives after the elections. One narrative is that this was a referendum on Merkel's refugee policy. The fact that the Alternative for Deutschland has got a quarter of the votes in Sachsen-Anhalt, but but a large number of seats in uh, in 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 uh, in the other two um, uh, over over ten uh, percent in both of them. Um, uh, that that is a kind of major defeat for, for Merkelism. But then there is this kind of alternative narrative that you just outlined, which is actually, um, it might be a defeat for the CDU, but it's a victory for Merkel because both Dreyer, the, the SPD candidate in, um, uh, in Rheinland-Pfalz and, um, uh, and uh, the, the Green candidate in Baden-Württemberg supported the Merkel policies. I mean, which you clearly seem to think that it is a victory for Merkelism, even if, if her party didn't do so well. Um, Josef, do you agree with that as well? Or, or do you think that it's more complex? Maybe it's not so much not a victory for for Merkel, but it is not a defeat for her. It is a defeat, as Francisca, I think, rightly says, uh, of uh, those candidates inside her own party who uh, played that tactical game. I think they have effectively demobilized their own electorate uh, and thus uh, lost significantly on this. 
um, there, there is a split reality. On the one hand, it is very clear from, from these results that the, 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 a strong majority uh, of the people in this country um, are not fundamentally opposed to what Merkel does. They may feel somewhat uneasy about uh, the question whether it is all under control and whether she will be successful in the end, but they are basically approving of her policy. And there is a rather decided uh, opposition to that uh, that is um, um, not represented in the mainstream parties and that has turned uh, to the AfD, not because of what they offer in programmatic terms. I think the followership uh, uh, for for that party in programmatic terms is very small. Uh, but the, the um, uh, polls suggest uh, um, uh, and research confirms that um, about three quarters of the voters of that party are protest voters. So they their vote for uh, the IFD is a vote against um, uh, the, the other parties. So they can be won. Um, and whether they will best be won by picking up um, the slogans of the IFD, I have some serious doubt. I think the message basically mm. to the chancellor is she needs to be successful with her approach. She has promised the yeah. Germans that she will get things under control. She will bring the numbers down, but she will bring them down uh, while maintaining the open uh, border regime of Schengen and a European response. If she succeeds on that, yeah. she has a very good chance of winning back a lot of the vote because this is not uh, a, a country that has turned xenophobic, but uh, it is it has, for the time being, lost a part of its electorate. Um, they are not convinced, they are not ready to follow, and they need to be uh, convinced, uh, it needs to be demonstrated to them that it is doable. No, I just wanted to say what is important, for example, to understand is that in Baden-Württemberg, the Greens have won quite substantial votes from the Conservative Party, from the CDU. And po uh, polls show that those who have switched to the Greens, for 31% they have done so because of the refugee policy, which is very interesting. So even a third of those CDU voters came to the Greens because they preferred our stance on the refugee policy with Merkel. Um, so I think this is a clear sign that, you know, it's a division within the CDU that cost the CDU a lot of their voters. And when you look at the AfD, many of them come from not uh, voting for a party uh, in the last elections, but from not having voted in the last elections. So these are people who have, who are in general dissatisfied, who, who didn't feel part of the uh, political process in the last uh, elections, and who had not voted before. And now they feel that there is a party which, you know, offers a a, a vehicle to give their protest out. And it's a very diverse mix of voters from professors to unemployed. Um, and I think there we really have to deliver results in terms of the refugee crisis and we have to look at our you know, social justice and a lot of people who are afraid um, of losing out um, socially. And we have had a, you know, a growing gap between poor and rich in Germany. And I think this we have to address. It's not um, because, you know, I see that every one of those will vote AfD, but because if you look at the results where they have strong results, um, 
it is you can't deny that there's a social link to it um even though you also have areas where it's more the professor you know of medicine who probably has has voted for IFD but I think we have to address this if we want to defeat the AfD in the next elections. So one thing which is slightly um, difficult to read for, for an outsider, if you look at these three um, states, is how come the parties did so differently in them? So your party, Francisca, had a, an incredible result in Baden-Württemberg, as we said, gained over 6% on what was already an extraordinary result um, five years ago. But in Rheinland Pfalz, you seem to have lost ten percent of uh, the support. Um, so it's obviously highly regionalized. But it, do you think you can take a, a general lesson from these things? Is it just about incumbency or particular candidates, or what? What? What do you take away from from these very very different pictures and across the different states? I think what you can see is that these elections have been much more personalized in terms of the leaders than previously, and that it was, for example, in Baden-Württemberg, a debate between you know Ketchman and Wolf, the candidate of the Conservatives, and the Social Democrats lost out in this sort of battle. And in Ireland, Pfalz, it was the opposite. It was between Glöckner from the CDU and Malu Dreyer from the Social Democrats, and in between those, the Greens had no space. Um, and I think so that was... you. And it's the same for Sachsen-Anhalt, um, where it was also hard for the Greens uh, with the Linke also running there. Um, and it was, I think, to this degree also, you know, a decision for voters to be with Mr. Kretschmann, but also with Malu Dreyer um, and Hasselhoff in Sachsen-Anhalt. Um, so I think this has become more stronger than in previous elections. Um, and I think it's a trend that we can also see in the U.S. or in other countries, uh, which is now hitting Germany, I think, more strongly than it has before. Um, and then, of course, it depends also on the policies which were carried out. We have um, with the and prime minister, of course, a much stronger position to roll out green politics and uh, quite, you know, pragmatic politics and a different approach in Rheinland-Pfalz. So, you know, we are internally also debating um, if these results confirm one way of doing green politics or rather another. And I will be different debate internally. Um, but, you know, I think there are overarching uh, tendencies that you can also see which are not necessarily only linked uh, to individual uh, policies that have been implemented in the past. So, Francisca, one other question for the national stage is, is about what kind of government is going to emerge? Because there's speculation that you could have a green-black coalition between the Green Party and the CDU in Baden-Württemberg. Um, do you think that's likely to happen? It's going to be hard and long negotiations, I think. And I think it's very unfortunate that we have now the Liberal Party saying, no, we don't even want to speak with the Greens in terms of forming a coalition. You have the Social Democrats that say, we don't speak with the Conservatives. And I think it's not a very responsible answer um, to say that, you know, in such times where you need to prove that democratic actors can deliver that people say, oh, you know, because of the elections in 2017 on the federal level, we now tactically not even going to, you know, elaborate if we have a common ground to govern. So I think it's, you know, probably this is going to be the only option uh, realistically <laughs> to be uh, at least explored because all other parties have said they don't even want to explore other options 
you know, I think it's not a responsible answer because that's what uh, I think voters and our citizens dislike about politics when they have the impression that people put their party politics over interests of the state or the country. Um, but could it? Could this not mean a way that the Green Party could get back into government? Because the red-green route seems to be uh, somewhat blocked by the disastrous results of the SPD in the last few elections. Oh, elections. yeah. Red-green is no option, yeah. but red-green yeah. liberal, what we call sort of the, you know, the traffic light option, yeah. could be one also. But the liberals have said they don't want to even talk about it. They don't even want to go into exploratory talks. Um, another option would be the conservative social democrats and the liberals, um, which the social democrats have said they don't even want to venture and explore it. So you have excluded two options which would be possible with the given result uh, by two parties. And I think, you know, that's an unfortunate um, behavior of these two parties because I think, you know, before the elections you can have preferences. After the elections you must be able and ready to form a government. Um, and if, uh, you know, we can't tell voters we're going to have new elections until we like the result. And I think, you know, otherwise we will have to RFD at 25% or even higher, even uh, also in Baden-Württemberg. But, you know, so in, in a way, most likely uh, the green-black option is the one which will be explored seriously. So um, I want to come on soon to what this means for, for Europe. Um, but maybe before we do that um and before we get to the big question which many europeans are talking about which is what does this mean for for mutti for for miss for mrs merkel um can i ask you to what lessons you think the mainstream parties are going to take from afd's surge because one thing that is clear is that a lot of the people who went out to vote which you you said earlier francisca was were people who didn't feel represented by the mainstream parties. But the the tendency in the past has been to gang up on on AFD and on other people who, who uh, say things which feel like they're outside of the, the kind of sphere of acceptable behaviour. And in fact, in Sachsen-Anhalt, it looks like there will be an anything but AFD coalition that, that emerges, which would be a kind of classical, uh, car, you know, establishment cartel way of, of dealing with these sort of um, uh, insurgent parties. Do you think that it will be more of that kind of attitude or do you think there is going to be more of an attempt to engage with the sorts of issues which have driven um, the AFD and to to actually try and defeat them by um, in, integrating them into the political process rather than uh, driving them out? I think the difficulty will be that in Sachsen-Anhalt, the only really option to govern is to have a coalition of the Conservatives, the CDU, the Social Democrats, and the Greens. And that is, of course, exactly what the IFD is going to win on, that you have all of those in one coalition. Um, so that means, you know, there won't be a lot of difference in the democratic spectrum. Um, but on the other side, if we don't do this coalition, we don't have a government. Um, so this is the tricky situation which we face. And I think that's one which the Austrians and the Swiss, etc., have been facing before and which leads to search of um, the radical parties on the right. Um, but we are trying to think through how we can face this dilemma of taking responsibility in the government and not at the same time, you know, strengthening all the... Uh, you know, the 
expression, like the feelings that many have, oh, anyways, that's all of the same. Because, of course, once you're in one government, you're a bit all of the same. Um, so that is a, tr- a tricky one, which we haven't yet come to a conclusion on how we're going to solve that one best. But we are certainly thinking hard about it. So, Josef, this is the moment that I think we've been building up to, which is like, what, what does it mean for, for Angela Merkel's future and, for, and, and therefore for the rest of Europe? Because I suppose she is the person that the rest of Europe is, is looking to um, when they want to know what kind of Germany we're going to have on, uh, it, it represented in the, the highest councils in Brussels and um, in intergovernmental dealings. Well, for her, it means that her domestic um, base um, remains complicated uh, because one of the messages to her is that the transition of the party systems that we see throughout uh, Europe uh, is not complete in Germany. Maybe we are just beginning to see more of the changes that have played out more openly in other countries. Uh, uh, Look at the Social Democrats and how they are struggling. Um, because it now, uh, this consensus between the two traditional major parties in Germany is um, a, a very important source of political stability. Um, and uh, it, it seems now that there is more flux in this. Uh, so it means that Merkel cannot be sure that her own party uh, stands, uh, the nervousness inside her own party. Uh, could uh, spill over into foreign policy, the traditional foreign policy consensus, to which also new parties such as the Greens have over time successfully bought into, uh, that this consensus may be weaker uh, than is currently the case. That may lead to less stable governments, that may lead to shorter terms of chancellors, which is probably not Merkel's major concern because she's already in in year 11 of her uh, own term. So uh, the outlook for the stability of uh, uh, German governments um, looks a little less bright than than it used to be. And how do you think uh, it will change her policies? Because... um she has said that she's not going to change them at all. She's not working on a plan B. Why work on a plan B when you haven't finished plan A? But that's what she always says before she changes her policies as well. So it doesn't necessarily um, tell us anything about what she's actually going to do. How, how do you see um, the policy mix being affected by the, these elections? Well, she's been rather careful over recent weeks to uh, make sure that uh, uh, her uh, approach to the refugee crisis is not uh, just to open arms, but is this kind of approach of saying we want to stick to an open border system, but at the same time we want uh, to bring the numbers down uh, and we uh, want to have a controlled uh, inflow of refugees even while we are uh, trying to keep up humanitarian standards. On this agenda, she is under greater pressure now to deliver. Because uh, uh, there is still trust in her, but there is also visible and vocal uh, opposition to her, which she can best handle uh, if she then delivers. So for her, the consequence is uh, she has to show now, you know, this week at the European Council, uh, she has to show that, that actually her course has a prospect to offer um, that others uh, have not. 
And Francisco, what do you think um, is going to happen with the the Turkey course that she's gone down? Because your lead, your leader Cem Özdemir, who is of Turkish origin, has spoken out quite brutally about the the limits of that deal in recent days. I think in 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 the Frankfurt Allgemeine Zeitung, he gave a, an interview recently. Is that something which is going to be changed as a result of this, or what, what do you what kind of changes do you think will will come out? No, I rather see it uh, with Yusuf that I don't think she's going to change a lot. It would be stupid of her actually to change now a lot, because I think what we have been seeing is that it's not honored by our citizens if you change tactically because of you know perceived losses or wins in elections. So I think for Merkel, if she doesn't want to lose her image of being the one you know now in this crisis who sticks to her goals. Um, you know, she, it would be not smart for him to change now, but rather to keep on trying. And if, you know, in a month or two months, it will be clear that this one can't be achieved. Maybe then she can change, but not now before the summit. Um, but we have been criticizing this uh, going into complete dependency of Turkey because we don't believe, you know, that it's a reliable and human rights based actor these days. Um, so we'll see. You know, I think we have to be clear there that uh, going only on knees to uh, Ankara can't be our response. Um, and that we need some European answers in terms of distribution of refugees, etc. And that the only answer cannot be just to, you know, drive them all back to Turkey where we know that they, the, you know, the democratic regime is rather, you know, being weakened these days and strengthened. Uh, but I wanted to add one more point on the ASD because the ASD is also very pro-Putin, uh, and many of its voters are Russian-German descendants. Um, and I think, you know, there we also have to be careful of what this will mean for German foreign policy in terms of having a very strong voice now, probably, that will ask for more cooperation with Putin, uh, you know, less uh, sanctions, uh, etc. So that might also be... Um, interesting to see how this will play out. Um, and they have been locally quite forcefully about being anti-NATO uh, and being rather pro-Russian um, in terms of uh, the global stance. Um, and also many of their voters have been, you know, following um, on, uh, on Russia today rather than on ARD. Hmm. Interesting. So um, maybe come back for the last question to the two of you about what happens next, because the last few months uh, people have been talking in feverish terms about the impact of these elections, the danger to, to, to Merkel coming up from uh, some kind of backlash during these elections. Now they've happened. Looks like she's uh, survived in spite of uh, taking a, a battering. Uh, in the ways that we we talked about, um, how much time does she now have to to try and implement the plans that she has done? What are the next big events in German politics going to be, which could cause people to to think again um, or to to uh, try and find a new start? Um, you know, I think uh, most likely until the summer we will have uh, new elections in the fall in Berlin, etc. Um, so I think, you know, she has gained a bit of time um, and it will really depend a lot on on how Europeans get together to find, uh, you know, some room for solidarity. 
Um, and I, I wouldn't, you know, I think it depends a lot on what Seehofer and others in her party decide now to do if they Seehofer think it's the a good... the leader of the uh, Christian Social Union in Bavaria. Okay. Yes, sorry. I'm like, if, who has been criticizing her constantly um, and who has been traveling to see Orban and Putin and others openly, you know, really undermining her approach. And I think there is a debate within the Conservative Party now if uh, that open division within one party group, so the, social, the Bavarians and sort of the rest, if that has been helpful for them altogether or if it has just been strengthening other parties. And I think that is an open debate. And I fear that Seehofer will just continue to do his obstructive politics vis-a-vis Merkel, um, and that will weaken her. But there are others who also see now that, you know, Glöckner and Wolf both lost because they moved away from Merkel. So there are also some who say, look, um, let's try to unite again, even if we dislike Merkel's policies, but give her a bit more time, and let's try to be united for those days. Um, because otherwise, the only ones who will win are the far right-wingers. So this will also determine how long Merkel will be able to to stand her line. Would you agree with that, Josef? Yes, yes, I agree. Um, I'm a little uh, less optimistic than Francisca is. I think she has to deliver now. I think she she needs to show that she can make progress uh, on her plan. Uh, because that will force uh, her her uh, in, inside uh, opposition, like the CSU, the Bavarian Christian Democrats, uh, to either follow uh, or to break. You know, Seehofer cannot continue his current agitation against Merkel uh, because up at a certain point, uh, she she has to force them to either back down or to, to mm-hmm. announce that his party would uh, run nationwide the next time, which I think will be the end of the CSU's uh, special role. So he yeah. will not want to do that. So she has to insist on her line. She has to act on her policy. She has to deliver. And even if that what she delivers uh, has, uh, you know, risks uh, entailed is- into it, which the Turkey deal has, uh, because that will then force Seehofer to to uh, uh, eventually, you know, say that he's with her or not. And uh, if he still is not, then he has to kind of break away, either leave the government or break with this uh, permanent coalition of the Christian Democratic parties. What could the two of you maybe tell me what you mean by deliver? What does delivering look like? Well, she now has to um, um, come back from this summit with uh, something that people can see that will change things on the ground. You know, a scheme that will go into effect over uh, a defined period of time, which will result in less uh, migrants uh, coming to uh, the EU uh, with a new scheme of uh, uh, treating migrants, with a scheme uh, of... uh, Uh, agreed and direct transfer of refugees uh, from Turkey to Europe, you know, even if we get to the number that is is much discussed these days of a thousand people per day, um, that looks like an impressive number, that's more than four airplanes full of people, uh, that would still be a much, much lower number uh, than the number of people who came to Germany in last year. So she has to, to deliver some numbers and timelines uh, on uh, such a, uh, a policy proposal that is done between Europe and Turkey, 
even though Germany is the principal uh, party to implement them on the European side? Mm, I, I would say, you know, um, everybody expects that uh, there will be an alternative to the current Dublin system because everybody knows this has been, you know, not functioning in reality. And I think it will, uh, you know, the immediate thing is, of course, to have an agreement um, within the EU Council and with Turkey on how you're going to, um, you know, regulate it. And I think there it will have to be on a rules-based approach and cannot just be, you know, trading off refugees and ignoring individual rights. Um, but I think that uh, the longer-term part, which Germans really expect, is to have a distribution of refugee across Europe. And I think, you know, that one will be much tougher for America to get than just the Turkey question. Um, and I think that is uh, it's still a bit of this feeling a lot of Germans have um, that others have left us in the rain and, and sort of we're just the only ones uh, being responsible, etc. So I think in that sense, um, there, is, uh, there is also more than just a Turkey deal, I think, that needs to be delivered. Um, but, you know, this is the immediate step. Um, and then the next one will probably be more difficult. But, you know, we will see. I think uh, people will also demand uh, for some sort of rules-based approach because people see what Turkey is in right now in what situation. Um, and that you cannot create new refugees by giving Turkey complete carte blanche on its internal matters. Okay, so we're back to Turkey, which seems to be one of the main topics of this podcast. We talked about the one in, one out refugee deal last week. We've talked about various different aspects of the relationship in the past, and we'll certainly come back to it again in the future. There are links to the many writings about German politics and what's happened in the elections from our Berlin office at uh, www.ecfr.eu slash podcasts. I'm also putting up a link to a piece which I wrote for the New Statesman on the Alternativa for Deutschland and uh, its rise and what it means for Angela Merkel. And uh, we would be really grateful if you could leave comments on uh, iTunes, rate the podcast, rate it on uh, SoundCloud, tweet about it and let your friends know about it if you enjoyed listening to it. But for now, from Josef Janning... Francisca Bantner and myself Mark Leonard it's goodbye the editor of ECFR's podcast is Katarina Botel Atinaro and our researcher is Ulrike Franke <laughs>